Dear fellow redeemed, trying to make this a habit a little bit so that it kind of gets stuck in the back of our minds. Inside back cover is especially for our children or if you wanted something to keep your mind a little bit more occupied during the church service so you can kind of pay attention to what's going on. Then rewinding a little bit further to page 10 is the take-home devotion for you to take home with you today. And then page 9 is the notes that also serves as the sermon outline. Um, if you're relatively new with us, you just follow the, the words in bold down the left-hand column and you'll get the basic outline of today's sermon. All that being said, have you ever heard one of those questions? One of those questions that is, it's a question, it presents itself as a question, has a question mark at the end, but it's not really a question. Well, why is it that your church does that? Or maybe it's a little bit more honest question. Why is it that your church begins each worship service as you, you come into the church and then we all sit down and the very first thing we do after the hymn is we basically say, I confess that I've sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, that I bring nothing, nothing of my own good, and I can do nothing of my own good. Isn't that a bit of a downer? And there's the question. Why do you do that? Because what's the alternative? You think about the alternative, and we could, we could have um, speakers who are far better than I, and we could find some, some topics to talk about and give you a lot more practical advice in a lot, more, in a lot shorter time than 24 minutes that pastor normally preaches. And we could talk about all the different ways and all the different life hacks of how you could improve your day and how you could win the morning and how you could sleep better and, and live a healthier life. We could have all the advice in the world that is basically summarized in the entire library of Apple podcasts. So then why in the world would we come to a place and then sit down and the very first thing that we do is we talk about how terrible we are. Well, when you put it like that, Pastor Hagen, um, maybe, maybe that is a little bit weird. Because the alternative, the alternative, aside from the whole Apple podcast idea, just dial up somebody like, like Tim Ferriss, or um, I don't know, I haven't listened to any of those podcasts recently, but you dial up one of those popular people who might be a best-selling author and just has a particular way of describing how you can have a better life now, how you can have a better day and a better week and live longer and healthier with better quality of life and quantity of life. And here we are in our church saying, I confess that I have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, that I am sinful from birth. Or the other alternative, why don't we just have a little bit more cheerful music instead of saying baptismal waters cover me and um, as I approach on bended knee, my Father's mercy here I plead for grievous th sins of thought and deed. Why don't we just set that aside? We can have something a little bit more cheerful, a little bit more upbeat, a little bit more that talks about our potential and our ability to finally, to finally make things better. A little bit more, perhaps, that even talks about the more pertinent issues of the day, some might say. The more pertinent issues of the day that, that grab our headlines just long enough for us to be distracted by, like a goldfish to the next headline that is of utmost importance. 
to be distracted by the next headline and the next urgent crisis. I guess there are options, but the one that we have stuck with, we come in, we have a hymn, and hopefully it, it kind of touches on the topic of the day. And then we stand up and we together confess before God and one another, I confess that I have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. And even then, in the back of our minds, there might even be that, that little part that says, well, it wasn't that bad, it wasn't my fault, and it was just that once. And so that confession goes on. I was conceived and born in sin. I confess that I have earned earthly and eternal punishment. Ooh. Makes one a little uncomfortable. And if it doesn't, well, maybe it should. I confess that I have earned your earthly and eternal punishment. That I have earned the bad things that many of which have not happened to me some of which that I have seen happen to me and I feel as though I'm justified in being angry about it, I confess that I have earned your earthly and eternal punishment. Talk about strong wording. That the first thing we do basically in the worship service is we come and we say, we say Lord, I deserve to go to hell. No, 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 even worse. I deserve, I deserve for you to make my life a living hell until you send me to that place that is hell for all eternity, that undying death forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Why? Because there's that fallacy, that idea that says, dear Christian, dear Lutheran, why do you do that when there are other options? when there are other options that, um, that might be more appealing, other options that, that might be more helpful if you want more people in your door? Why do we do this? Jesus gives us a hint in our gospel lesson today when he talks about um, the kingdom of God, beginning there in verse 26. The kingdom of God is like this. A man scatters seed on the ground while he sleeps and rises. Night and day the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. And we understand that, you know, from like a seed perspective, or you've got a garden, or you've got, uh, you're reseeding a little bit of a dry patch or a bare patch on your lawn, or wherever the dog was too many times. You're putting some new seed there, and, uh, and you water it, and then after two weeks, then you've got a little plant there. And you don't think about it. So what is Jesus telling us with this, this little parable that's all of a verse and a half long? What is he telling us about this process of confessing our sin? Well, he's really telling us that God does his spiritual work in a way that is beyond our perception. That God's spiritual work is something that we cannot exactly perceive according to our emotions. That God's spiritual work is accomplished through his spiritual word with his spiritual tools to accomplish something that you or I do not have the power to do on our own because it is something that is beyond our perception. It's something that we don't even know that we don't know. 
and about the only way that we see it is by putting his truth into words. And then we see it almost like a reflection, like the reflection in the rearview mirror. Oh, I, I just passed, you know, this, this bright red sign. Um, and, or, you know, there's somebody who's speeding up behind me. You see something in your rearview mirror, but you didn't see it at the time. And in the same respect, us confessing our sin is using God's spiritual words to put into words what is the spiritual truth now so that we can live with those words going forward, not just seeing spiritual reality in the rearview mirror of life's consequences. I'll put it again, hopefully, a little bit different way, maybe not, that we use God's spiritual words in confession so that God gives us basically the spiritual roadmap for our lives. He gives us a spiritual adjustment and sets us straight so that we can use his spiritual words going forward to serve him rather than simply observing spiritual reality looking backward with shame and guilt and regret. So what is confession? Confession and absolution, really. You've probably seen confession on, on the television or in the movie, um, usually where, where the protagonist, uh, the young single man in the small town, goes and talks to the priest, and, and the priest is in his half of the confessional, and the young hero is in the other half of the confessional, and they pretend to not know each other, and bless me, Father, for I have sinned. Or maybe it's, um, I'm sure it's in one of the Godfather movies, where the the anti-hero goes and confesses what he's going to do. And the priest says, don't do it. And it ends up being, well, this terrible, bloody mess anyway. That's not really confession. Confession is admitting to God on the basis of his word what is true about us. Confession is admitting to God on the basis of his word what he already knows and has told us in his word that I have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, and that I'm not going to defend what I do, but that I, by what I have done, by my fault, by my own most grievous fault, by what I have done, I have transgressed against your holiness, and I deserve nothing but punishment both here and in eternity. And if you know confession only from, from that context of television, you might get the idea that, okay, <laughs> okay, just go on your way, say five Hail Marys to our fathers, change your life, promise to do better, and then you'll be okay. And that's wrong. Because the kingdom of God does not belong to our own observation, spiritual benefit does not reside within our own power. The seed sprouts and grows, though man does not know how. Confession and absolution go together. That the purpose of confessing is to get to the absolution, that announcement of forgiveness that isn't contingent on what you do, what you promise to do, isn't contingent on the sorrow you feel, but it's hinging entirely on the work of Jesus where um, publicly here in worship, Pastor Hagen gets to stand up and announce, you know what, dear friend, um, on the, you, know, you just confessed your sin, and I'm going to take that at face value because I'm just going on the basis of your confession of faith in what you say. 
I'm going to take that at face value and say, um, you don't have to worry because the Lord has had mercy on you. He has withheld the punishment that we deserved. He has, given, he has given you grace. He has given you the love and the forgiveness that we didn't deserve. That his forgiveness hinges on the historical fact of that man who is both God and man on the cross and walking out of the tomb. And because of this historical fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you can say, and I can say, that your sin is forgiven. You see, it's the, like last week, the use of the keys. It's basically the use of the keys in a little bit different form. Because confession and absolution, we, we do this in two ways. The use of the keys, um, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> The use of the keys is something that Christians use particularly privately with one another. To say, dear Christian, you sinned against me. Dear Christian, I forgive you. Confession and absolution is something that, that we do together. And we do this, first of all, publicly in the church. Publicly, as we gather here for public worship, or we um, gather as a body, that's another way of thinking of it, that publicly we all stand up together and confess the same reality, the same spiritual truth. I confess to God that I have sinned against him. And we could say, I confess to you, my brother and sister in Christ, that I have sinned against you. That's the confession part, but we're the confession absolution part. The point we're driving at is the absolution, where pastor gets to announce, and as that hymn so beautifully put it, from your own mouth comes forth a word, your shepherd speaks, but you are heard. Through him, your hand now stretches out, forgiving sin, destroying doubt. Where Pastor Hagen gets to announce that because Jesus has risen from the dead, your sin is forgiven too. That's public confession. The other aspect, the other form that we use is known as private confession and absolution. And this is, um, I've done this a few times, and normally, you know, this, this is what has encapsulated a lot of pastoral counseling up until about 40 years ago, would be my guess. Because about 40 years ago, there was a major shift toward, um, toward a more therapeutic approach. But we still use private confession and absolution because it gets to the heart of the matter. Because through these spiritual words, God accomplishes spiritual good that is beyond our own perception. Same thing. And so, whether it's pastoral counseling with me or pastoral counseling or private counseling through the MAP program that our congregation also helps to support, um, which provides online counseling, here's the plug, online counseling that you can get through our website for free, and you can participate um, through your own electronic device in the comfort of your own home. Whether you receive counseling or come for private confession and absolution, we still use the keys privately there where we go through a little, a little order of service. It's, there's one in the front part of our red hymnal. Um, I forget the page. It's like 157 or something. An order for private confession. And we, I usually read through it with somebody, and I've done it you know, more times than, than you would care to know about <laughs> because it's part and parcel of the work that Jesus has called me here to do. And we just read through that together. I should we read through that together, and, um, and the person says, you know, I have sinned. 
And it starts with this generic confession of faith. It's page 154. Um, we begin in the name of God to, before whom all hearts are open and from whom no secrets are hidden. And there's a confession, Almighty Merciful God, I, a troubled and repentant sinner, confess that I have sinned against you in my thoughts, words, and actions. And then there's a place for the individual to confess private sin. To say out loud the things that they have been carrying for 20, 30, 40 years. To get in the light of day the shame that wants to stay hidden in darkness. And those words are out in the open. And usually it's a, a very emotional experience because things that are outside of our perception all of a sudden come into our perception and we realize that this has been sitting on my conscience for an extremely long time and it makes me feel guilty and it changes my day and it makes me feel ashamed. And thank God, thank God that I had the opportunity to get it out, to speak it out loud. And then the very next thing that the pastor does after hearing that isn't like, oh boy, that was a bad one. No. The very next thing the pastor says. Jesus said to his people, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. His death paid for the guilt of your sins and the sins of the whole world. Do you believe this? And I get to announce personally and individually and, uh, and custom-tailored, really, the forgiveness of sins for that particular item that was just mentioned. And frankly, there's nothing that anybody could say that would shock me. And together with that, once those words are spoken, they are as private as between you and God. Because they just go into one ear and tucked in the back of my brain and, and never spoken of again. And if I forget about it, all the better. <laughs> but it's not going to change our relationship except maybe for the better. That, and that's, that's been the experience nearly every time where somebody had the confidence in me as their pastor to come and say, this is what I've got going on. And then I as a pastor get to announce, dear friend, your sin is forgiven too. And even legally, I like to tuck this in, even legally, the protections for uh, the relationship and the conversation between clergy and parishioner is a, a greater legal protection and a tighter legal protection than even attorney-client privilege. <laughs> Set that aside for what it is. So what's the purpose of all this? Confession and absolution, where we say, using the spiritual words that Jesus has given to us, we say out loud what is beyond our perception. And then God announces through that person, whether it's, whether it's Pastor Hagen or go ahead, use page 157 on your own with another loved one, where God announces that your sin is forgiven too. That one thing that you didn't want to talk about, we have talked about, and it is forgiven. You could think of it this way, that yesterday was, um, was June 19th. And 1,696 years ago yesterday, the council at Nicaea finally opened. And they, they had been meeting for almost a month, but the Emperor Constantine finally showed up. And, uh, and the council finally opened, and pretty much on that day, they, they announced their confession of faith, this statement that was dealing with a problem. The problem 
was that this guy Arius, this other guy, was saying Jesus wasn't both God and man, but that he was the first and highest creation of God, that he wasn't truly God, all right? And so the Council of Nicaea, 1,696 years ago yesterday, said very thoroughly, we believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son, only son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, etc. This very thorough statement saying, you know what, this Jesus is true God. And let there be no confusion about it. And the reason that matters is because if he were only a man, if Jesus were only a man, then the best that we would have to offer here at a church would be five life hacks and ten tips and seven ways to improve your life now. And if Jesus were only a man, you would walk out still with the, the guilt that you would never be able to get rid of. But the fact that Jesus is true God from true God, very light from very light, begotten of the Father from eternity, this man who died on the cross and rose from the dead is true God. And so that means his death and his blood have infinite value. That if he were only true man, he could have died for himself and would have died for whatever sin he had, which he had none. But since he is true God also, since he is true God also, his death means your forgiveness. And how do we announce that? With this attitude of faith that says, Lord, I confess that I bring nothing on my own, that I can't do anything to make myself better and to take away the guilt. But because your son has risen from the dead, because this man, who is also true God, has risen from the dead, I know that my sin is forgiven. That's the faith which, which we confess, even in confession and absolution, that we can't do anything. Jesus has done everything. Amen. Amen.